0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. I'm here with your 430 movie hosts. Steve Melching. Darren Dockerman. Ashley Miller. And if you enjoy listening to the 430 movie, you'll love watching us on Electric Now. Electric Now is available on Stir, Zumo, and Distro TV apps and coming soon to the Electric Now app. So check us out. And it doesn't have to be 430. Any time of the day, we'll be there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman. And we are the hosts of Inglourious Trexperts. And if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, you're going to love watching them. R- will they? I hope so. Well, I... we enjoy watching the show. Do you? You like watching yourself? Well, okay, no. I'm Me, a- not I'm so lying. much. But I'm lying. But I think the audience will. I hope they will, because, uh, you know, the enjoyment that we get uh, doing the audio portion is doubled when we're doing the video portion as because well. Because a picture is worth a thousand words. Oh. And when you these are you know twenty four frames a second, so right, that's a lot of pictures. That's a lot of pictures. Okay, check us out on Stir, Zumo, Distro TV, and coming soon to the Electric Now app. Watch us every day on Electric Now. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman from *Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a James Bond fan, you want to pick up my new book, Nobody Does It Better, The Complete Uncensored Oral History of James Bond and Spy Mania. It's a hefty tome, and it's available now wherever you purchase books, audiobooks, and digital. Check it out, and I will renew your license to kill personally.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. As always, I'm your co-host, Josh Miller, and also with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta.
2: How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself?
2: Can't complain. That
1: is good. (laughs) Uh, And we have a fun topic today. We are talking about the movie or the script for Captain Sunshine, which eventually became galaxy quest starshine Starshine. yeah and that was the voice of our guest (laughs) mr. jack bennett hello uh (laughs) and jack is here because he directed an entire movie all about (laughs) galaxy quest i
3: did i directed a documentary never surrender a galaxy quest documentary i believe that's the official title and, I like uh,
1: titles that just really spell out what the thing yeah. is, because <laughs> why, why mess around?
3: Yeah, everyone reads the title and they know exactly what they're about to watch. And that's what it is. It's a documentary about Galaxy Quest. I basically did a deep dive a few years ago, and I spent a few years making a, a documentary about Galaxy Quest, because why wouldn't you do that? But um, yeah.
1: Where can people see that?
3: Uh, iTunes, Amazon, go rent it. Go watch it. We got everybody. We literally interviewed everybody. I. It's It's. Uh, how deep a dive do you want to go into the documentary? Just Just let me know because <laughs> well, I got, could talk for hours about even it. You got people from Star Trek The Next Generation in it, which I thought was awesome. Well, that was great because, like, Brent Spiner and uh, Will Wheaton, they were sort of in there as commentary because it turns out that Star Trek people love Galaxy Quest.
1: Well, I was going to mm-hmm. say that was one of my favorite details was Brent Spiner being like, They blew it, meaning the Star Trek universe is like, we should have made this movie. The Galaxy Quest should have been about the next-gen cast or whatever.
3: Well, here's the weirdest thing. It's like I did an interview where, um, first off, getting all those people was this incredible thing, but it became like this riptide. It was like an undertow of goodwill where, like, this this thing happens. It just starts somewhere. I know that, you know, we've— many of us in this room have made documentaries and there's this thing that happens where just you're working with people's schedules and you're working with trying to get people over time and uh screen junkies produced the documentary and they would not give me a green light unless tim allen said yes so i pitched this thing in may of 2016 and then spent three months trying to get a firm commitment from tim allen And this is actually a good chance for me to give out some special thanks because, by the way, very early in the process – I'm glad that I'm looking at you right now, Stephen, because uh, uh, very early in the process, uh, you took me to a library and jump-started my research. And that was was like right at the beginning, too. And uh, I don't think you're thanked in the credits, but thank you.
2: Oh, no. I love that place. And I believe I took Josh <laughs> that's there. What I, was I, say. Tell, I take everybody there because it's my favorite place. Do you want to tell
1: people the name of
3: it? I don't even remember. It's
2: that it,
1: place he
3: took me.
2: It's a cinema library on La Cienega. And I can't even pronounce the woman's name because you know how I destroy names. But um, <laughs> I do all my. You'll always see me there at a table all day researching because I just love that place. But yeah, I did. I brought Jack there. Yeah. And I just. Yeah. And I, that's my favorite thing to do is take people there to show. Show them around.
3: Some of the stills in the documentary that are periodicals came directly from going to that library for that visit <laughs> and just right there asking them to print some stuff out. But also a big thank you to Amanda Fuller, who is a friend of mine and who I have worked with before. And Amanda plays Tim's daughter on Last Man Standing. And when I knew that I was going to do this and they were interested in me doing this, like I, I said to her, like, can you help me? get Tim Allen. And she did. She told his people, this guy's cool. You're going to be in good hands. He genuinely loves this movie. And after three months of trying to get the $20 million guy to say yes, I had a firm commitment from Tim Allen and he was going to do the documentary. And it's like, you have a green light. So now it's, I have a doc. (laughs) So the very next person I called up was Dean Pariseau, the director of Galaxy Quest. I thought he was the second most important. Dean probably did it so that Tim wouldn't say he directed the movie. <laughs> and then Bob Bob Gordon, the screenwriter, probably did it so Tim wouldn't say that, that uh, he wrote the movie and improvised everything. But the very first interview that I conducted on that was Dean Pariseau and Robert Gordon. And then they had such a good time, and we all hit it off so incredibly, and they were so gobsmacked that someone would make... I don't mean in a good way. They were like, "Why are you making this documentary? Like, what is what is there?" But he, uh, Dean in particular, just started telling people, "This guy's this guy's legit. You should talk to this guy." And because of that effort, I got Deborah Zane, the casting director. And if you know the cast of Galaxy Quest, that's a huge hero to that production. Mm-hmm. And. She got us Enrico Colantoni. She got us Rain Wilson, who has never talked about Galaxy Quest. This is this was my 2016, basically. She got us Missy Pyle. She got us all these people, and um, and then you know Dean sort of validated us. He validated us to people like Tony Shalhoub and Chill and Mitchell, and and um, at one point it was like, is Sam Rockwell going to do this? Like Sam Rockwell's the guy who's gone the furthest I'd say of everyone yeah. in the cast. And uh, Dean vouched for us with Sam, too. And uh, Screen Junkies wanted me to interview a guy named Scott Mance, who's a giant Trekkie and a great guy and, like, a genuine fan. And he was so enamored of us making Galaxy Quest documentary. He was like, have you? is there anybody you can't get? You know, have you reached out to Sigourney Weaver yet? And we were like, we haven't. She has eight agents. We don't know where to start. <laughs> yeah. And Scott's like, I, I know exactly who to talk to. I'll get you Sigourney Weaver. So it's like Scott, just because he, was, he we hadn't even interviewed him yet, you know, he was just jazzed about, yeah, yeah, no, I'll get you Sigourney Weaver. And he totally gets us Sigourney Weaver. And she says, yes. So this this net of goodwill just goes through all these people because they all love Galaxy Quest so much and they all have such fond memories of each other and they all bonded so hard. Dean was actually uh, he told me this is uncommon that people who made a movie together are this close and this close knit, the one person I couldn't get and I couldn't even find was David Howard, who mm-hmm. is credited as screenwriter with and Robert Gordon. And
1: wrote Captain Starshine, which we are talking about momentarily.
3: Exactly. Like, it's this whole thing where, like, everybody did it. And it's funny because um, Tim Allen was the first person to say yes. And then, of course, he was the last person to be interviewed out of the, the people <laughs> that made Galaxy Quest. For the most part, there were a few, few stragglers we got to later. But... um Tim Allen, you know, being the guy, you have to book him eight months in advance, essentially. But we got all these people and they all talked about the experience they make in this movie. They all talked about how brilliant the script is. And it's like, I couldn't even find David Howard, one of the two credited screenwriters. I even called a guy who's a professor, I think at USC, and I was like... Your name's David Howard. Would you happen to be the writer of Galaxy Quest? And he writes back, "I'm not. People ask me about it all the time. That's awesome. You're making a documentary. I love that movie."
1: Have you since figured out where he is? Yeah, I think he's in Utah. He just doesn't want to be contacted. Well, that, it's an interesting
3: thing because it all it all kind of leads into this. It it became uh, pretty clear talking to the. Producers of Galaxy Quest and also Robert Gordon, that what we know and love as Galaxy Quest comes after Captain Starshine, and that Captain Starshine is David Howard's contribution, basically. Like this is he wrote a spec script that was optioned by Mark Johnson Studio, this this brilliant uh, his company rather. And uh, this brilliant producer who now you see his company name on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and, you know, he's produced all the Barry Levinson movies, all that stuff. Because,
1: well, right, uh, his connection to Vince was he did Home Fries, that, which Dean also which Dean directed. Which directed, exactly. And that's a weird movie, by the way.
3: <laughs> well, it's, it's really funny, too, because of all of these things about the movie Galaxy Quest that are happenstance and circumstance and it's all these brilliant people – But the stars had to align for them to do what they did. Like, Dean uh, was not the first choice of director. I don't want to spoil my documentary, but you should see it. (laughs) I (laughs) I made the documentary because in 1998, I read an announcement on Ain't It Cool News, I think, of all places, that said Harold Ramis is going to direct this movie, Galaxy Quest, for DreamWorks. It's a sci-fi comedy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa! And then two months later, that same person posted, and they cast Tim Allen and Harold Ramis has dropped out of the project. Now I have no interest in this movie. <laughs> and then you have people who love Galaxy Quest, it's their favorite film, who watched because Tim Allen is the lead.
1: Well, mm-hmm. you know? like, that was interesting watching the doc, too, and them just talking about the people they did want and mm-hmm. like not being interested in tim allen and i think maybe someone even finally does touch on this might have been paul Shear or something right but i thought he was perfect because people like kevin klein whoever harold Ramis want it's like kevin klein would never have been the star of the tv show within galaxy quest where someone like tim allen like that that is the kind of shatnery handsome guy yeah yeah like I-, I really bought him as the actor character. <laughs> Plus,
2: around that time, it was weird too because he was just in these constant family movies, like the Santa Claus jungle movies, to Jungle the Jungle, to jungle yep. and stuff like that. So, because like, I mean, it's something to get into later because when I went to go see this, I didn't really want to go see Galaxy Quest. It was just during that time, I'd see everything that came out. Yeah. Because the commercials just kept showing you some rock monster. Right. And and then. I
1: had no expectations for it. I was kind of yeah. like, oh, that I like that idea. I think that was even. The appeal, which is just the concept alone. Even
3: Sigourney Weaver and Alan Rickman being in it? I
1: I
2: didn't, but when I went to see it, I walked out of the theater completely blown away away and surprised just because the TV ads didn't sell it right. But when I left the theater, all of a sudden I was like, wow, this movie was great. It was also,
1: it's funny now, I mean, now just the compression of time as you get older. But remember at that time, at that age, it, to me it felt like it was almost a weird Sigourney Weaver kind of comeback.
3: Right. Like mm-hmm. it had
1: been a while since she'd been making this type of movie.
3: Yeah. And, and Alan Rickman had done Dogma and then he did this Galaxy was after Quest. Dogma? I think it's within a year of each okay, other. It's 99. Year, right? yeah. It came out Christmas 99 and I saw it because I needed to get out of my family's house. So me and my best friend from high school went and saw it together and said, "Ah, eh, whatever, it's funny." But even at the time, I remember that the trailers had "Is there air? You don't know." From Sam Rockwell, I'm like, "That's the kid from Box of Moonlight and um, and uh, Safe Men." That's the guy from Safe Men, right? You know, it's like there was this thing. Maybe I think Safe Men come out by then, but it was this thing of like, I loved indie film i loved big night and tony Shaloub is in the movie and it's like well
1: okay this is i'm just I mean, it was, oh it's the guy from wings the guy from wings right <laughs> the but ambiguously foreign guy from wings
3: i think they were never happy with their trailer they, they say this very explicitly they were never happy with their trailer they're never happy with their poster and i think that it was a movie that if you were somebody like me who kind of was trying to connect the dots of like, what am I watching? Like it was intriguing to someone like me, but it's a hard sell of a movie. It's like Ghostbusters is an easy sell now because we've all seen the movie and it's brilliant. But just imagine trying to like encapsulate that movie in a trailer where it's like, uh, Bill Murray's so funny. And then also there's ghosts and it's kind of scary. And it's these big concepts. Like sometimes, The only thing big concept has to sell itself is the fact that it's big. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I guess in a trailer for Ghostbusters, you would see like special effects and stuff and be like, all right, let's let's go check it out. Word of mouth is what makes it a hit Mm -hmm. in instances like that. In the uh, instance of Galaxy Quest, it was never a hit, but word of mouth made it not a flop.
1: No, well, Mm because and I think this is a good way we can segue back to David Howard is that. Galaxy Quest was clearly a movie where, you know, I've done enough things to know that everybody's always trying to make every movie they do as good as possible. Sure. So it's almost luck when things just kind of all worked out well. But that was a movie where, across the board, kind of the right decision was made at every yeah. single juncture, mm-hmm. casting like every single part, even, changes the story, the director. And even Tim Allen,
3: even Tim Allen being the reason why that guy I was talking about wouldn't go see that movie. <laughs> Tim did The Doc because it's his favorite film of his own, and he's great in it. It is a legit great performance. If it had been someone else, if it had been Kevin Kline or it's somebody that we already think of as a great actor... Mel Gibson. Mel, <laughs> there wouldn't... So. Be, he was considered. Yeah. It would have worked too. But Tim Allen in the movie proves himself as an actor at the same time the mm-hmm. character proves himself as a character.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: You can't buy that kind of kismet. You can't plan it. I think you can just kind of hope that it works that well.
2: Yeah, I don't want to... Sp- spoiler your doc i mean but if you're into movie docs i highly recommend this it's a it's a really cool casual
1: i, I think it'll make intriguing. you like tim allen more
2: yeah it'll make you like yeah. the movie more tim allen more it's a great documentary and there's a great scene in the documentary i might i'm not going to try to go too much in it but it deals with <laughs> allen Al, rickman and tim allen yes. and this one dramatic scene where spielberg showed up and that that was like one of my favorite scenes of your documentary so yeah. it, it was uh, it was really terrific,
3: man. Even Dean was like, I can't <laughs> tell that story. And then later he was like, "No, nah, it's too good. Leave <laughs> <Yeah.
1: any laughs> So good. Right. Well, let's so. talk about the versions of this movie that didn't get made. Well, the
3: very first interview I did for the doc was with Dean and Robert Gordon. So they were telling me, like, from the beginning, like, I had all these questions about how does Captain Starshine figure into this? And became clear from the beginning that... The producers said to Bob, to Bob Gordon, "Yeah, don't don't read it. We just want the premise." And David Howard, it's it's interesting because again, it's a spec script, and he has co-writer credit on it. But you guys have read the entire script, correct? <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm I'm curious. One hundred percent, he should get co-story credit. Of course, because yeah, it's his concept. I don't understand how we got co-screenplay credit though. And I think the audience will under, feel the same once we get into the script itself. Let's but get into do you it. know? Oh, why, I know. Oh, well, let's save it to the end. Let's we'll, save we'll, it to the we'll end. end. We'll loop back around. This is where <laughs> things begin. Um, well, first thing, I guess, not to get ahead of ourselves, but just kind of reactions to the script. One big, huge difference from this versus Galaxy Quest is Galaxy Quest is very clearly a Star Trek. Not parody, but you know, it, yeah. it's pulling from Star Trek. This, I feel like, is pulling from like Flash Gordon.
3: That actually, yeah, I was trying to figure it out. I was like, sort of Yet, like Star Wars, sort of I like Legend really, of Zelda. And <laughs> I'm
1: not really sure what the show within the film is meant to evoke because they don't right. show as much of it as we see of the show in Galaxy Quest. Oh, that's, but...
2: that's a good point. I felt like it paced, it felt like a 70s sci-fi movie to me, this script, to be honest. Yeah. That was the way well, that's, I was reading it. Because I think it's going it. for... Yeah. Buck the
1: Rogers. Kind of, well, also just like, that kind of John Carter of Mars where it's it's an alien planet, but it's more about, it's not about being in outer space. It's about being this earthling who gets yeah. flung. Because uh, like another key difference in this is that the idea that he is not captain starshine which is right. the name of the the character within the the show they like realize that like he's like no i'm not that guy i'm an actor and they're basically like oh oops right but then the movie <laughs> progresses. like re- that one is really all set up yeah so that was like an interesting thing that bob gordon did yeah uh it was just the idea that they have to, like, live out their parts.
3: Well, and also, it's Bob—
1: not just a setup.
3: Yeah. The thing that's brilliant—and apparently Galaxy Quest is also Bob's title, so it's like Star Trek, Galaxy Quest. You know, it's a pretty, pretty easy equation. But—
1: again, I mean, I mean, even the title, Captain Starshine. I think it's going for the Flash Gordon, right? Like right. Kind of. You could
3: see the lightning. Because the bolt bad guy in the... this
1: is basically they wouldn't even describe him looking. He looks like Ming the Merciless from Flash Gordon. He's bald, yeah. with like pointy ears and like a weird
3: goatee. I didn't put it together, but you're absolutely right. But it's still clearly Star Trek. Like his his inspiration, as stated, you can actually see David Howard talk on uh, the special features of uh, the Blu-ray and the it's DVD. Dated. They found it, but that was years and years ago. So um, basically his inspiration was he had gone to see something and there was some trailer, I think, narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And David Howard said, boy, wouldn't it suck to just be Spock your whole life? And it actually started with that idea of like, wouldn't it suck to be Spock? And then if you read the script, (laughs) spoilers for Captain Starshine, the movie that was never Mm -hmm. made. Spock's kind of the bad guy, but he's also not really Spock. He's just the second banana character actor. And if you read it, you can't really draw an analog to Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner. You can certainly draw an analog to William Shatner with the main character, but you can't really draw an analog from Leonard Nimoy to... The, the villainous... Yeah.
1: Well, let's get into it. And then let's, we do can. it. let's do it. Let's do So this begins uh, with our hero who would become the Tim Allen character, and this, his name is Richard Schuyler, and we join him while he is performing a monologue from Julius Caesar, uh, auditioning to be in... I'm forgetting if it's a stage version or a film version, but he's auditioning for it, and there's like Broadway. a... Broadway. Pres- Broadway, and there's a prestigious yeah. director that he's trying to impress... Uh, and then after this, we meet uh, his like best friend slash manager Milton, yeah. and we kind of get a sense of who he is. Is that he was the star of the Starshine Chronicles TV show, and we see that um, this famous stage director he's talking to his like assistant or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, he's such a good actor, but we can't cast him because he's just Captain Starshine." So I guess yep. that's the Howard was talking about the idea of being Spock, where you're. You're pigeonholed. It's funny though, because by the p- time he was writing this, uh, Leonard Nimoy had directed Three yep. Men and a Little Baby, which was the highest-grossing <laughs> movie of that year. True. I think he was doing okay. He had already written
3: um, "I am not Spock" and, and I, am "I am Spock." Spock. He'd, yeah. he'd come
1: around on it and been like, "You know what? Maybe just being <laughs> famous wasn't so bad." Um,
3: That's a big theme in the script.
1: Yeah, kind <laughs> of a little bit of the cross. Like the first, the setup to this script uh, is. Fairly similar to Galaxy Quest. Not really mm-hmm. scene by scene, but just like conceptually, because then he has to go show up at a convention, yeah. which is the part of this that feels like it is Star Trek inspired, even though right. what actually happens in it again is very Flash Gordon-y. But he's clearly living out this, I was on Star Trek up. Uh, billion years ago now i have to just do convention appearances
3: but it does something i it almost feels like if they had made the movie and focused on the alan rickman character because they really do focus on the idea that this guy did not think that his captain starshine was a good show and he wishes no, and that was, you talk man. on the
1: doc that that was another kind of genius thing that howard did uh, uh gordon bob did. gordon did, yeah, did yeah. um was the idea that uh, what's the Galaxy Quest character's name? Now I just keep hearing uh, Richard Skylar. Jason
3: Nesmith is the Jason. actor and Peter Quincy Peter Tagger, Captain Quincy Peter Tagger. But
1: James, <laughs> the idea that like he loved this was like the highlight of his life was when he was right. on Galaxy Quest, where and that really influences the tone of the entire movie. So similarly. This one has a different tone, uh, which is maybe more what you would expect, the idea that Richard Schuyler considers himself a real actor who much much more like uh, um, why uh, uh, Picard, why am I forgetting his real name?
3: Oh, Patrick 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 Stewart. Stewart, Why
1: he was reluctant to do it at first was because he's like, I'm this Shakespearean stage actor. Yeah, I don't know if I want to be one of these Star Trek guys. (laughs) But anyway, we're at the convention. (laughs) We meet... uh, uh, Really, the only other character from the Starshine Chronicles is a guy, Vincent Ortiz, who played I guess kind of the Alan Rick mini part yeah. on the Starshine Chronicles, where he was like a second banana yeah. who was maybe the pilot. I'm trying to but now he's like this snobby author who's really obsessed with like kind of cryptozoological yeah. UFO outer space nonsense
3: and is rocking a new look new look and a sinister
1: new look remember that
3: um it's it's much more that shatner thing of like shatner wishing that he could get away from you know being kirk and and have people focus on tj hooker no, I mean yeah. like
1: you know, rescue 911. Yeah,
3: Shatner was a Shakespearean actor. You know, he was a guy who's who's treading the boards and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, what I think is interesting about this draft compared to what the next writer
2: does is something that's brought up in your documentary is that they auditioned a lot of writers and each writer was trying to was kind of approaching it like Captain Starshine, where he hated being a captain, and all the other writers that were auditioning were like I. They were going for the same thing. He hates being this captain. And then the guy who got the gig, yeah. he was the only one that says, no, he loved being a captain. He loved this. And that's, you know, and then you can kind of see that
3: love throughout the rest of the script. And it kind of. Well, comes... it's his it's his uh one sort of redeeming quality, really. Which character. is what makes the whole movie work. Yeah. Yeah. Um And. Okay. Oh,
1: Cool, because I'd like because by him loving being the captain, then it means the story is about him, uh, like becoming like better friends with his co-stars, mm-hmm, which right. as fits in the movie is kind of a, a more I don't want to say heartwarming, but there's there's more to it that that's his arc by the end. Whereas yeah. this, uh, nothing wrong with it. It's just that his arc is. Richard kind of coming to terms with, like, him finally being, like, a hero or I don't know.
3: Now he likes being recognized as Captain Starshine. Yeah, that
1: that is the—well, well, well, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. We're jumping around, you guys. We are jumping around. All right, around, so he's at the it. convention. He has to talk in front of the crowd. He's grumpy about it. Uh, much like in Galaxy Quest, we meet two— Guys who he assumes are dressed up as aliens, but they're yeah. really aliens. They are Cardox and Shiz. Um, but unlike in Galaxy Quest, they aren't really behaving super comically weird. Their English is just fine. And, yeah. Uh, they just have pointy ears. Yeah. Uh, we, much again like Galaxy Quest, we have him back at home being kind of like drunk and grumpy, yeah, sees his mm-hmm. own TV show on TV. He gets an answering machine message from Carolyn, who is his ex-wife, that she is going to have to drop off their dog <laughs> uh, for semi-complicated reasons.
3: We think it's going to be the baby. They set it up. I actually thought that was kind of clever. We we set it up that it's going to be the baby. You have to watch. You have to take the baby this weekend and then the door opens and she's holding a poodle. Yeah,
1: <laughs> poodle named Tinkle. Yes. I like to assume because uh, it tinkles everywhere. <laughs> there you go. Um, but then uh, while he's watching well. himself on TV, Cardox is just suddenly in his home holding a disintegrator in his hand. Um, then I have a little scene here for uh, Jack and I to read. Hmm. Jack will be Richard Skylar. I will be playing the role of Cardox. <laughs> uh, interior Richard's hallway knight. Richard turns back and walks into his study. Captain Starshine. Richard looks dumbfounded. There, across the room from him, stands Cardox. How in the hell did you... Perhaps I have not explained myself clearly. All right,
3: that's it. I've tried to be nice. I'm calling the police. If you hurry, you can get out here before they arrive.
1: As Richard reaches for the phone, Cardox raises his disintegrator. Uh... You will gather any personal items you feel are necessary and we will be going. Richard looks up, sees the disintegrator. He can't believe it. He puts the phone down and begins walking to Cardox.
3: You're seriously threatening me with the disintegrator.
1: I regret having to take this kind of action. Richard continues walking to Cardox. As he gets close, Cardox begins backing up.
3: You know what the problem with you guys is? The problem is that when the rubber hits the pavement... None of you guys have the guts to go through with it.
1: Stop where you are.
3: You get all dressed up, but you never go to the dance. I mean, there you are, pointing a loaded disintegrator at an unarmed man. But I don't think you're man enough to pull that trigger.
1: I warn you, I will fire it if it becomes necessary. Go ahead. Do it. Fire. For once in your life, get off the sidelines. Do something. Richard stops facing the disintegrator point. But like, by the way, he doesn't think it's real. So the scene's very bizarre. I want to know um. <laughs>
3: why he knows it's a disintegrator.
1: <laughs> I mean, so it's from the show. Like, but now actually you're right. That doesn't make any sense because they're not following the same rules as Galaxy Quest.
3: That's one of things. Bob, that was one of the brilliant things that Bob did. The idea that all the aliens have seen the show and patterned all their technology yeah. and everything
1: after uh, the show. We'll get to that coming up. Yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Richard wants him to leave his house. Um, leave my house. Yeah. <laughs> we can <laughs> stop there. Basically, Cardox uh, leaves. He ends up leaving behind the disintegrator by accident. Right. Um, but yeah, so it, it's interesting. Like This is really where I'd say the scripts start diverging and it, just becomes more dramatic the differences from here on out
2: especially with the only character in this is richard has a an agent milton yeah so the the whole crew thing is completely removed from this draft so there is no other crew it's just richard on the mission only in this script Mm -hmm. so that's another brilliant thing um gordon did is like introducing a whole crew and it Again, it added more with a family thing. Which is and, why,
1: again, I think ultimately, even though he may have in his brain been thinking he was doing Star Trek. Yeah. It's like Flash Gordon or like John Carter of Mars or Mm, uh, uh, Adam Strange. Like that, those are all just about one guy going to an alien world. And all the characters are the aliens on that world, which is what we see here. And
3: I was thinking of the Buck Rogers TV show because I I remember growing up with that and, you know, the bitty, bitty, bitty and all that stuff. But it's, you know, when I say Bob, I'm talking about Robert Gordon. Bob is such a – he's such a genuine Star Trek fan. And he's one of those people that I think – Loves Star Trek and can also deconstruct it and and think about it in in those terms of like, wait, why is it like this? Why is it always like this? And he's just got that kind of brain. So I think Gordon really filters the entire concept through the Star Trek filter Mm -hmm. because he even says in the doc that the quote, uh, it was an open writing assignment. And he read the, the log line was, what if aliens thought that William Shatner was real? And it's funny because I know that that has to be the real log line that some assistant wrote sure. up. What if aliens thought that William Shatner was real? It's like, oh, what a concept that Shatner would be uh, real.
1: But <laughs>
3: but the the thing that Bob says is that he didn't even read this. He was just sort of going off of what he thought. And he, you know, he just took the premise and, and blew it out the way he thought. So the similarities are really interesting mm-hmm. because then it becomes – First off, is it executives saying, oh, why not, you know, giving them suggestions even they've read the Which script? Which I'm sure
1: there's a little bit of. But then it's also like web kidding, lateral evolution, whatever it's yeah. called, where like two different species of animals right. from two different continents kind of develop in similar ways because their environments were similar. It's the yeah. same thing. And I think there's just basic – if he's William Shatner, you're imagining, oh, he's going to conventions. like the SNL sketch. Yeah. Get classic life. one of – yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was
2: impressed because I read – Captain Starshine. Before I watched your documentary, mm. and then when I watched your documentary, and they said that he didn't read it, I was blown away at how similar, like these, op- the scenes with him in his house to yeah. Tim in his house. Well, are. And same
1: thing, irony, because I knew I knew that there was a controversy about them having to share right. writing credit. reaching this, i was like, well, I don't know. This is like a little similar, and really. Starting like now in the script, they just suddenly become. Yeah. Well, here, let's let's progress forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caroline comes by, drops off Tinkle the baby. She <laughs> delivers what seems like it's supposed to be part of his thematic arc, but I don't really know if it is. But it's you know, what Richard. Your problem is Richard. You never realized how how much you have, which right. I guess is kind of at the yeah. end because he embraces being but whatever. One uh, bit I really like in this, this yeah. that um, <laughs> Milton comes over and well, here, let's read the scene. Uh, Where are we start. Uh, I highlighted your. We start with your line.
3: Uh, No one in this town considers me yes. an actor. So okay, this
1: is Richard talking with Milton about his career.
3: No one in this town considers me an actor. I'm a joke, an action figure, a living, breathing spaceman.
1: Richard, would you? <laughs> I'll admit I didn't know what voice was gonna come out when I started that. I surprised even myself. Richard, would you would you take just one minute and look at your life? You're rich, you're famous, you're on the cover of Alien Outpost! What more could you want? I wanna get out of this spacesuit, Milton. I'm tired of being saluted by aliens. You had a three episode deal on SeaQuest. There was no spacesuits. I was playing opposite a fiberglass dolphin for hell's sake. Rich, you're an actor, what do you expect?
3: I expect to act, Milton. I want, I want to touch people's souls. I want to speak words that change lives. I want to make people feel things they never knew were inside them.
1: This is a very sincere, or there is a very sincere pause. <laughs> well, there were tears in my eyes when you rescued that dolphin. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Milton, would you listen to yourself? Do you think...
3: Don't you think you're exaggerating a little? Oh, you think so? Did you know last night an alien phased right into my living room?
1: You're not serious.
3: He pulled a disintegrator on me and pleaded with me to save his planet.
1: You're kidding. Richard picks up the disintegrator from the table where he left it.
3: No, I'm not kidding, Milton. This is my life. I'm trapped in this house,
1: surrounded by lunatics in purple tights. Tinkle comes into the room and begins barking at Richard's agitated state. Look at this. It's not even the right color. You'd think
3: if he's going to break into a man's house, he'd at least have the decency to...
1: Irritated, the barking Richard points the disintegrator at Tinkle. He absently presses a button as he finishes the speech, and a brilliant blue light flashes from the weapon. Tinkle vanishes. Richard and Milton stand dumbfounded for a moment, their mouths agape as they look at the vanished dog.
3: Oh, dear. I just disintegrated Tinkle.
1: This does bring up the point, though, because at this moment, you still think it's Light Galaxy Mm Quest where they're using technology from Captain Starshine, but this is the only instance where there's any kind of overlap.
2: Yeah. Uh, Poor dog. It doesn't even come back. It actually gets disintegrated. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for it to come back, but (laughs) it never does. It doesn't come back immediately.
1: No.
3: No. But... um,
2: but my favorite my favorite part about the scene was the opening when Milton comes over with the toy yeah and oh, it's yeah. like uh, it's like Richard's body is incredibly pumped up and it's like all buffed the action figure and they find out it's from Van Damme's sword and sorcery line they just put his <laughs> head on it <laughs> because I remember back in the 90s there was this Star Wars line of action figures and they were all buffed yeah, out and remember those oh it was hilarious yeah. <laughs> and that totally brought me back to that I was like remember those buff Star Wars
3: oh that's so true but
2: anyway yeah. I that, that that scene I genuinely Laughed at. I thought it was hilarious so. because because he, he disintegrates the dog. No, no, no. The van.
1: Damme. <laughs> I I liked the disintegrating the dog. I right? do. Oh, you and I have
3: sicker <laughs> senses. Um, yeah, I have. A, now, I'm all Now he's like, dogs. wait a
1: minute. Is this real? <laughs> Cardox shows back up, stuns him, kidnaps him. When he wakes up, now he's yeah. on alien ship. We meet a guy named Fidwicks, who's a general, and this is all very John Cartery and Flash Gordon where, yeah. Even though it's just, there's a similarity like when Galaxy Quest that it's like, oh, I'm finally Myself in this kind of political face-off between these two alien races, but this is way more about like kings and emperors and like yeah. ground battles. Yeah, um, which I
3: guess you could accuse Star Wars of being that way, but it's you know it's fantasy. Well, I mean, it's not sci-fi.
1: We all know the story behind. Star Wars, right? Was that George Lucas right. wanted? Was it Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon? That one he or wanted, the other. I think but he it was wanted probably, to make one of those. Yeah. Couldn't get the rights, and he's like, "Oh, oh Flash wait, Flash Gordon, you yeah." To and wait. he's like, uh, "Oh, maybe I'll just make up my own thing and become a billionaire." So, well, you know? it's
3: also in the script. They keep you mentioned the Van Damme thing. They he keeps bringing in these references to real people and real things, mm-hmm. and then he does that classic thing that he um, does it a lot. That classic screenwriter thing of like, oh, you're gonna go see, you know, Alex Scarlatta. <laughs> and he's like, who's that? Alex Scarlotta, the biggest director in Broadway history. Like that thing where oh, yeah. you have these fictional characters that are their <laughs> fame is emphasized. It's like it's like that Simpsons joke where it's like, Dredrick Tatum, the guy who is as uh, uh, rich as Mike Tyson and looks exactly like him. You know, like that. Yeah, you're right because that's in, he in the opening. He's
2: He's auditioning for a very, like, uh, prestigious director.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
3: then they keep bringing him up like we're supposed to know him. Yeah. And then they bring up the company, the company that's so huge, and the president of the company mm-hmm. that's so huge, all this stuff. And then he mixes in Patrick Stewart is mentioned. So, and John claude Van Damme, obviously. But it's like Star Trek is clearly a show within the Captain Starshine universe. Ah, oh, there you go. They're not trying to substitute
1: Okay, let's well, read uh, this scene. All three of us oh, are it, in this one.
2: What do we you say? Well, I was going to say the disintegrator gun scene happens on page 26, which is approximately like, you know almost you know, 25, 26 minutes into the movie. And what's interesting is in Galaxy Quest, at this point of the movie, the rest of the crew already gets beamed up to the alien right. ship. And so Tim Allen has already started a war with the bad guys, and he's already yeah. found out it's real. Yeah, Galaxy real. Quest really gets yeah, you so right by, into it. So by this time in Galaxy Quest, we are already, you know, the, the crew's on the... the The ship's flight deck and it's moving. So it's it's very interesting comparing it like that. I anyway. Um, But this scene (laughs)
1: this scene gets us a bit of setup of what the weird politics war going on is Mm. here. Uh, So a screen comes on, like it's like a TV in this spaceship that he's in. (laughs) Uh it's a spaceship, but I get the imply it's almost like more like a airplane where they're in a ship but i feel like they're in the atmosphere of a planet again like john carter of mars um the screen (laughs) a strange nazi-esque propaganda broadcast begins a strong militant angular or strong militant angular and filled with grotesque promise of better tomorrow a stunning young woman 20s we will come to know as aurelia hosts the program welcome to the news of a better tomorrow close-up cardox and shiz (laughs) who's shiz it should be highlighted. You, oh, you read it's for the me. highlighted. Lines. All right,
3: <clears throat> the emperor's whore.
1: Cardox <laughs> uh, subtly looks at Shiz. He says nothing, but we can tell the remark stings. Back to the video. In Kajunt, imperial troops continue to eradicate isolated pockets of resistance. Those who stand in the way of a new era of freedom will soon be brought down. Close up, Fidwicks. They know nothing of freedom. Back to video. Soldiers on the front celebrate as the war nears conclusion. An imperial soldier talks to the camera. He is stiff and rehearsed. The war goes well. We
3: anticipate a quick end to the oppression that has gripped Eldon for centuries.
1: <laughs> Back to the scene. Shut that off. All right. Amy, that's just... So give the, uh, the listeners an idea of what kind of war is going on here. Um, <laughs> While
3: well, it doesn't have – it's it's so funny that, like, the script for Galaxy Quest, which, by the way, uh, Robert Gordon and, and I have become friends, but also – he's a very, he gives me nothing. Like he won't even give me the screenplay to galaxy quest, the movie, you know? (laughs) So, uh, but so he's like a, he's a hard guy to get information from, but also um, having just visualized what the script was on the page from what everybody said, there is a quality to that script where it's already really great. And then they elevate it. Mm
2: -hmm. And I was
3: reading this thing and kind I don't mean to say it so derisively, but it's, it's like it would have to be elevated by the performances for it to be interesting. There's a lot oh, well, of. And
1: I'm going to be yeah. skipping over a lot because it's like, not like this movie, you know, with notes and rewrites. Cause you could have turned this into a. More entertaining Flash Gordon-y mm-hmm. type movie, but it's definitely for me. It was there's way too much of just the politics. Yeah, mm-hmm. of because we learned that Cardox is the son of the rightful king, and the rightful king is in hiding because there's a dark one who's revealed yeah. soon. But there's you know mysterious overlord who's like taken over the land and yeah. oppressed everybody, and it's all very much just about this planet, and you know. It's hard to get to really care yeah. about what's going on. And, it's and again, also, and Richard yeah. very immediately, Cardox <laughs> and the rest of them understand that he is not Captain Starshine,
3: which is the whole crux mm. of the storyline in Galaxy Quest. Like they yeah. say, that's the beginning of the third act. Here, it's the beginning of the second act. Yeah, basically. they've built
1: like basically, and in this, it's like there's not even much detail about the Cap, the Starshine Chronicles. It's not like. They have not restructured their society based around the show. It's more like he's part of a prophecy. Yeah. That there, there's this great hero, Captain Starshine, that's the only one they think right. can defeat the Dark One. And we start teeing up a little, little interesting is the idea that the Dark One hates Captain Starshine. Right. That's what, why they
3: search for him in yeah, the first exactly, place. Yeah. Exactly. Like if he
1: hates this Captain Starshine so much, we got to go find this guy. Right. Um. Uh, you know, the ship crashes. They get in gun battles. It's kind of like. Richard a little bit there's like kind of half jokes of him like shooting and sort of accidentally doing well but then he's also kind of getting into the idea he's like oh it's like my stage combat days (laughs) Uh, at this point he's not as clear cut of a character as Tim Allen's part Um, Cardox uh, and Richard get (laughs) captured Um, here we read this little scene All three of us are in it of them captured in their prison cell. Mm. Um This is them trying to, you know, whatever, escape. Uh, Richard takes a swing at the guard. He catches him by complete surprise, knocking him into the mud. Richard grimaces as he holds his hand. The guard is instantly up, furious at Richard. He grabs a weapon out of another guard's hand and points it at Richard. Cardox looks anxiously from one to the other. He knows what's next. Before you kill him, you should... You should know the risk you take. The guard <laughs> looks at Cardox, just a hint of doubt on his face. Cardox looks at Richard. Perhaps you should tell them who you are, Captain. Richard looks at Cardox. A look of puzzled surprise sneaks into his eyes. He turns back to the guard, assuming an air of interstellar importance. I'm Captain
3: Jason Scott of the Galactic Battle Cruiser Starshine.
1: The Dark One's troop looks among, or looks among uh, one another nervously. Starshine.
3: Perhaps I should warn you, you're risking a response of interplanetary proportions.
1: Um, yeah, I just wanted to give. So that's that's more the tone of this is like, <laughs> right. Cardox is smart, unlike uh, right. Enrico Colantoni's character, uh, like he gets, he's like, "Oh, yeah. you're not real, but I get that the bad guys right. kind of think you're real for some reason, so the, we can use this." Well, the night
3: of those characters of the Thermians and Galaxy well, Quest, so lovable. Yeah, and I don't care about
1: any of the alien characters. Well, in they, this.
3: that thing, that scene where like he says, "I'm an actor," and the guy's like, "All right, I guess we'll take you back to your home planet," and then they get interrupted <laughs> by the yeah. bad guys. I like, they're, well, they're sort of like, guess oh, we can. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, and then the big reveal, though is that the Dark One is none other than Vincent Ortiz, the co-star from the Starshine Chronicles uh, and the snotty author that we met earlier. Mm. Um, And you know what? Uh, I like this idea. Again, I don't think that this is better. Like Galaxy Quest is still the better way to go. Mm -hmm. But there is something I find a little interesting of the idea that this Vincent guy just hated being the second banana to Richard on this show. And he has found a way to this alien planet John Carter, Adam Strange style, Uh, and he's like, I'm going to take over this world so I can finally be important, and then he can't (laughs) believe that Richard has shown up. Yeah. Uh, Co-star
3: as nemesis. Yeah. The one thing is, though, it is a really cool concept that they went to find Captain Starshine because that's the guy that their enemy always talks about. So it's actually kind of, you know, it's a calculated thing. It's That's kind of a cool concept. Mm-hmm. How did this guy become emperor? I just, you know, walk well, through. Sort a, of
1: an explanation. Uh, well, here, let's, walk let's, through a wormhole. Let's read all three of us are also in this scene. This is that's Vincent, true. the overlord dark one of this planet. Yeah. Uh talking with Richard in their the interior uh, royal audience room. Um, basically, yeah, and Richard and Cardox and Shiz and all these people are brought before Vincent. Oh, tell me, just who is it who dares to make light of... Vin- <laughs> Vincent sees Richard, uh, and he stops. The two men stare at one another in a tense silence. Finally, a vicious smile fills Vincent's face. Richard, what brings you to this little corner of the galaxy?
3: Hello, Vincent.
1: I'm Vincent Stops, completely at a loss for words. So surprised to see you here.
3: I'm surprised to be here.
1: Make yourself comfortable. Armand, take these gentlemen's coats. You must tell tell Cook we're having guests for supper. Vincent gestures to a pair of chairs next to the throne. Armand looks at Vincent, not sure what he sees. Uh, Vincent picks up on it. Uh, did you hear me, Armand?
2: Yes, Your Imperial
3: Majesty.
1: Armand bows slightly in accent. Thank you, Armand. Armand? His name's really Wasool, but I ask <laughs> you, is that any kind of name for a royal secretary? I see. Vincent leans back in his throne. He picks up the toy iguana and pets it uh, casually, you know, like a cat. <laughs> uh, so tell me, Richard, how are you keeping yourself busy these days? A miniseries, perhaps? A pilot for Cable.
3: Oh, you know, a little of this, a little of that. I read Mark Antony for Alex Mason the other day.
1: Vincent is impressed despite himself. Alex Mason, you mean the Alex Mason of Broadway?
3: Is there another one?
1: Well, that's fascinating casting. Who's playing Caesar? Bob Denver. <laughs> <laughs> that's Gilligan from Gilligan's Island for people who don't know.
3: There's talk of a starshine feature. <gasps>
1: There he is. I'm
3: surprised no one's contacted you. They're talking to everyone, even the wagons.
1: Vincent's eyes blaze as he clutches the iguana. Cardock squeezes Richard's arm. You don't know what you're doing? Of
3: course, that might be difficult here, even for an agent.
1: Vincent throws his head back and laughs, gesturing with the iguana. Well, to be honest, it would be lovely to be in front of the camera again. I did enjoy it so.
3: Yes, you always did manage to get yourself into the scene, didn't you?
1: In a sudden fit of anger, Vincent's grip on the toy iguana tightens. He shakes it violently at Richard, almost squeezing the life out of the beast, who lets out a tiny yet mournful yelp. "I only did what was necessary to find my character, Richard!" A pause. Vincent looks down at the lifeless creature slumped in his hand, then stares furiously at Richard. "Look what you made me do, Richard. I nearly killed little Benito!" Well, <laughs> uh, let's stop there. So. so I don't know, I, I kind of like. The Vincent character, like I, I, I see, the less successful narratively, but that there you could do something with this. I think is what I'm getting at. Yeah, but
3: there is a there's a quality to, and it, it sounds like I'm just defending Galaxy Quest and putting down this script. But what it really is, is that what Galaxy Quest does so brilliantly as a movie is take the uncommon choice constantly, mm-hmm. but also. At the end of the day, the the heroic the realization of what it means to be a hero in Galaxy Quest is you stand up for the bully for the bullied, basically. You stand up against the bullies and you don't just go in it for yourself. you know, you actually back up all the rhetoric with action. And there's this uncomfortable, like, we're already punching down kind of quality to, it's like the guy. The guy's the second banana already, and he's lived in the shadow of this guy the whole time. And it's like taking that and exaggerating it to the most villainous qualities of it. Like to me, and then also there's a little bit of homophobic stuff in there that I feel like there was a little, 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 the suggestion that this pretentious actor guy is so full of shit. And it's like, it allows for, I guess, the Richard character to be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not as full of shit as that guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but there's, like, there's something to it where it's, like, easy targets, guys, you know? It's like having having this guy be this, you know, flamboyant hammy actor who always wished that he was the star and then he becomes the villain of the the emperor of the he's waging an intergalactic war because he didn't get enough for respect as an actor you know now that i say it out loud it sounds more plausible that an actor would <laughs> yeah, yeah. would be
1: that look well, kind of like i uh I, I feel this is more of just the kind of what you expect version I yeah, of the yeah. idea whereas again that was the genius of Galaxy Quest was they went a little bit more upbeat. Uh, but again, I'm kind of breezing through some big points here. Sure. Uh, we learn of and then eventually meet a character named Dr. Quay, who is how Vincent got here. When Vincent was writing some book about science-y stuff, they were like out in the desert, and Dr. Quay basically created a rift. Through time and space, there's all this stuff with Fidwicks like, still outside the castle, like, trying to get to where the king is. Mm. Armand, Vincent's, like, number two, we learn, is, like, kind of the power behind the throne, is really evil. Uh, Aurelia, who was the woman on the news broadcast and is, like, the <laughs> princess of Mars, basically, was supposed to marry Cardox and yeah. is, like, kind of only pretending to like Vincent. So she's sort of like a spy on the inside. All of
3: that stuff is all this left field stuff that we don't really care about, but it is kind of interesting that no, there was a real villain, and this actor guy just kind of thinks that he's the emperor. Like that yeah. was mm-hmm. that was interesting.
1: Mm. Uh, and so he's a little bit more of a, a buffoon. Right. Um, yeah, it's all stuff of like Richard meets Doctor Quay, uh, who even notes, Mister Ortiz, that's Vincent, is a pawn in this war, Mister Schuyler. Until we came. Aldensia was a war was a world without guile and without even knowing it he taught the wrong man the power of evil who's Armand <laughs> was soul um, lots of tortury chamber stuff that... Vincent wants to find out where the real king is and again this is the part where you're like I get that like Tropic Thunder I thought did this very well where yeah, it's like yeah. our guys are trapped in a movie setting so that kind of mm-hmm. needs to play itself out but like Very little, we didn't get to see a lot of that part in Tropic Thunder. It was more about our characters, what was going on with them. This is like we really get bogged down with the, like, alien war and Rightful King and all this stuff. And Richard's just kind of, like, bouncing around with what's happening, slowly learning... Well, and then it, uh, to be it, a hero, it keeps
3: going back and forth because sometimes he seems really into it and really adept. And then the very next scene, he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just kind of keeps going back and forth. That kind of nuance is OK, except it's not really tied to an arc. It just kind of seems to hmm. eh, we're back and forth. You know, and there's
1: not enough like Galaxy Quest did a great job with what it's. I would say, kind of gimmicky joke engine was, which was the aliens all thinking the show was real and that they somehow managed to make this technology that no one bothered to think of how it really worked. I mean, the best joke being Sigourney Weaver's reaction to the, like, chompy, you know, gears Mm -hmm. of doom of, like, why is this in this ship? Like, what does this do? (laughs) Why would you put this here? Whoever Um, wrote this should die. But this doesn't really have that, and they only touch on it here and there, there's like a scene where Richard needs to rally some good guy troops. Once he gets yeah. out of the castle, mm. finds the real king, yeah. and he's with all their guys. Which takes and forever to get. Yeah, to, it feels and so late. like yeah. he, his rallying cry is he's kind of like recycling bits mm-hmm. from like The Godfather, Julius Caesar that we mm-hmm. heard earlier. Yeah, he's having part that I thought very weird. Was he's doing like a call and response thing, where he's yeah. like, "Well, one for all, <laughs> and all for one," and then it devolves into the Bugs Bunny theme song you know the bump ba up yeah yeah, bah da. yeah it kind of, uh,
3: that part actually made me laugh and i like the idea that the suggestion that the rousing speech to get the troops going you kind of do need an actor you know like like patton kind of needed to be a good actor to give that speech well,
1: and that's the thing is like it's there and yeah. with like a rewrite they could have fleshed it out more. for sure like if i was hired to rewrite this and couldn't Completely change the story. Yeah. That's one of the things is the idea that he's an actor. Have that like turn out to be handy. Well, more it, so. it, it,
3: it's straight out of the actor's nightmare, where the guy's on stage and he doesn't know what his lines are, so he just starts saying what he can remember from Shakespeare and ends up saying the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> and so in here, I like that the the big rousing speech ends up with a call response, and he just goes "Boom Shakalaka" as like yeah, the last, that's the final the, thing, the last line. Um,
1: <laughs> I did. I, I
2: did. St- there was one scene a couple scenes back that actually shocked me was when S- Shiv dies. Yeah. Like um oh, when
1: Armand like murders him and gives his head uh...
2: serves his head on a platter <laughs> yeah. during yeah. dinner. Like I was actually shocked by that vi- like because that's when I was like, what is the tone of this movie? Well, yeah. It felt like, then it was like, is this like one of those depression porn 90s, like in the company of men sci fi movies? Like, where is <laughs> the humor? Is it going... black comedy? Like, what's the yeah, humor it's with this not scene? Quite in the black movies movies all... sci-fi. It's like, what's <laughs> yeah, the segment
1: from this... Heavy Metal, John yeah. Candy's segment, where yeah, he's the yeah. little kid who oh, becomes like oh, basically He Man and a yeah. sexy Swords and Swordsman? Oh, I, I forgot
2: <laughs> the, his name in that. Yes, but, I, mean, yeah. I feel like
1: because I feel like uh, <laughs> the like princess in this probably would have been kind of princess of Marzy Yeah, and she yeah. would have had some sort of Frank Vin- friend, uh Franzetta kind yeah. of metal bikini look. But uh, nobody, yeah.
3: he, nobody really has any character to him. That's why Shiv except
1: Vincent, Vincent's
3: except Vincent and Richard. Yeah. Like Shiv dying is shocking because it's like, oh, that I guess they killed the other person. Yeah, exactly. You know? it was just bizarre.
1: Yeah, there's a funny scene when like. They, you know, our good guys storm the castle. They're like winning, and it's like everything's like blowing up. Right. And Vincent's just kind of like having a existential meltdown, and he's like holding his sword mm. like it's like an Oscar, and he's just right. like, "I'd like to thank the members of the Academy <laughs> for their remarkable good taste and perception in recognizing this performance."
3: Um, it's a little Rathicon in yeah. that moment. He doesn't say, "From hell's heart, I stab." But thee, to what though. you were
1: saying earlier, though, as far as like punching down, mm. um. Well, actually, this comes after. Let's read this other, I think this is the last thing we have to read, um, group scene here, uh, which is Richard kind of trying to, we're starting mid-scene here, but it's Richard kind of trying to trick Vincent. We start off with your line, Richard.
3: Oh, yeah, because he just said, Vincent just said, literally, I want your life. Yeah. So I'll pull some strings. I'll get you some work.
1: Wonderful. Maybe I can be your cosmic show... Oh, that's more... Oh, wonderful. Maybe I can be your cosmic chauffeur again. No, no.
3: Oh, yeah, he was the pilot. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. We'll
1: work together. I'll guess a buddy picture. Vincent hesitates. It's tempting. A, a buddy picture? Sure.
3: You and me, a pair of mismatched detectives fighting crime against all odds. A buddy picture? You're a tormented genius, and I'm just trying to get to retirement.
1: Who's the funny one? You! I'll be the dull one. Romantic lead? You! You! We'll get...
3: uh, Who do you want? Uh, Sharon Stone? Uma Thurman? Whomever. Michelle Pfeiffer! Absolutely. You want Michelle... Milton had lunch with her last week. We need a good villain. Gary Busey. Trite. Uh, Okay, Uh, Jack Nicholson.
1: Let's not forget the budget, shall we? All right, then. Uh,
3: Jeremy Irons.
1: I like that.
3: I think he's available.
1: He can be nasty. He can be downright cruel. The door suddenly opens. There stands Ula in a sexy little evening dress. Oh, I'm sorry. I. <laughs> Vincent spins around <laughs> facing her. Ula sees his burned face. She screams, get blown up and yeah, explosion yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, Vincent looks at her, then glances in the mirror. His burned face shines in the mirror across the room. Quick, get help! Run! Ula quickly steps back and pulls the door shut from outside you almost had me believing, Richard. Um, but what I was going to say before when you're talking about punching down is yeah. then when they start fighting after this, they get in like a Basil Rathbone, Arrow Flynn, you yeah. know, two actors, sword fighting. Yeah. Uh, but then Richard at some point is like, you're a second banana and you'll always be a second banana. Yeah. Which is kind of like, know your role, guy. Right, like, yeah. how dare you want to be the star?
3: And Richard's go-to insult is you need to get therapy. He, does, he uses it a lot. Now, obviously, <laughs> Vincent... Does need therapy. <laughs> sure. But it's that,
1: you know. Most people need therapy, though, so. Well, that
3: sounds like a therapist talk.
1: Uh, but whatever, you know, <laughs> he pushes Vincent in a pit, and Vincent's eaten by a thing called the Foltz-Thats or something monster <laughs> that was vaguely established earlier. Right. Uh, they give. Richard the disintegrator back and reveal that it can like regrow Tinkle so you were wrong Steve Tinkle does does come come back but then 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 he kills it again instantly (laughs) but then he kills it again instantly being like I can bring it back again I'll bring it back later
3: what if the battery runs out Mm
1: -hmm. but yeah then the happy ending is they get Quay Dr. Quay and Vincent go back or Richard go back to earth Dr. Quay is going to destroy the rift making technology Uh, Richard gets on a bus to ride back to like LA and his little girl who's like are you Captain Shining He's like, as a matter of fact, little lady, I am.
3: Last line of the script. And then we go up to the stars, and I mm-hmm. assume they are shining.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> there you have it. It's kind go. of a long script, too. Isn't? It's it's like, two, yeah, 120 pages. But wait, yeah. so do
1: you know what? how Howard got credit? Like, is there, a, what's the story Just there?
3: One word, arbitration.
1: Really? Yeah. And I think I it's, don't. I do not. Having gone through arbitration myself, I don't understand how you can look at these two scripts and feel that beyond the concept, there's anything.
3: Yeah. Knowing that Bob was working from just the premise and that he's the one that thought, well, there should be a crew and this should, you know, people should have different characteristics that then pay off and everybody should have a little story that has, you know, he seems to think very much in set up payoff and then he thinks about like they even said we were not just making a great movie we wanted to make a great star trek movie like we're not mm-hmm. just making a star trek movie we want to make a great star trek movie and like that thing at the end with the magnetic minds you know that's like straight oh, out of, yeah it's like straight out hunt for our october you know it's well, like and everything is
1: oh, no. and like we we're talking about earlier that that the arc of galaxy quest is these people who don't maybe don't necessarily all get along yeah Getting along. Like, it's like, whereas this kind of has a more negative idea, where it's like these two guys who never liked each other, yep. and Richard's big victor is he finally gets to murder him. And re- <laughs> <laughs> like, so. and yeah. also,
3: the best thing about, like, the thing about Galaxy Quest that a lot of people are pointing to now as being so prescient you have the Trekkie, nerdy characters, and then by the end, they're absolutely essential. They're, uh-huh. they're, Obsessive fandom is what saves the day.
1: Well, we don't have yeah. a ton of time left, but Steve, you may or both you guys can chime sure. in. Maybe talk a little bit about how this became. We went from this to Galaxy Quest, yeah. and so, kind of the stops in between. The Harold Ramis one being the oh for sure the big one. You know, well, one thing I
2: found was interesting is that Tim Allen said that when he was up for this role, he was also up for Bicentennial Man.
3: Yeah, he said something about how him and Robin Williams were both being considered at the same time. Basically, it's you make that list of stars, mm-hmm. and I saw a list for the casting in Galaxy Quest, and Robin Williams was at the very top. Oh wow! And Mark Johnson produced, like I said, he produced all the Barry Levinson movies, so he produced Toys. So, uh, and Charles Newworth also, who uh, was a major factor in Galaxy Quest, like that, they probably had a great experience working with Robin Williams. Imagine Robin Williams as the the lead in Galaxy Quest. And of course, Harold Ramis was more interested in people like Kevin, Kevin Klein. Klein, and then Alec Baldwin mm-hmm. when Kevin Klein turned it down.
1: Baldwin would have been good too.
3: Well, and that was at
1: a time like
3: '99. He wasn't like,
1: known for comedy yet, he even though he yeah. he'd been doing great SNL. I mean. Canteen boy, let us not forget. <laughs>
3: and that was the motivation. That was Ramus's motivation. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. also, I guess he had done, like, recently he had done, like, The Juror, and I guess he was now starting to play character parts, like in Outside Providence, you know, things like that. In 99, he wasn't, he was like a fading star yeah. in the eyes of the studio. I can
1: see why the studio wasn't into it.
3: And Tim mm-hmm. Allen was Money in the Bank. But it's, it's that thing where, um, like, Tim Allen... Is coming at it from the angle he's coming at it he's you know i referred to him before as the 20 million dollar guy as brilliant as he is in that movie he's a franchise and he's somebody that's thinking about his brand but he's also a giant sci-fi nerd and mm-hmm. he's somebody who grew up with that stuff and loves high concept sci-fi
1: learning that is what made me like tim yeah. allen more i Which was like oh what a dork i yeah. love it
3: and then it's it's dean going to, uh, going into the situation picking up a movie that after harold ramus left ramus wanted to well, do we to, know yeah.
1: were there were there any notable differences in the actual story when ramus was involved
3: oddly enough there was yes. harold ramus and i have seen some notes too and actually nice. let me read this specifically so ramus actually kind of was pushing for more of the he hated being the captain sort of angle, he they called it the Bill Murray approach, because uh, that idea of the guy being more like more of a prick basically, who then learns how to be um, m- learns how to value people. Groundhog Day, you know, like he starts out at this as this guy who's very self interested and turns into a guy who actually you know makes the world a better place and well, helps the people. You would actually
1: them. think wouldn't have worked with that in just a purely practical sense, is I think it would have been harder to get into the story as fast as they did. The fact that Tim... Because they do a clever thing where even though it doesn't make any sense, it's like in watching the movie, there's like five minutes that pass in between them all turning down his offer to go into space and then deciding Mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah, But... Because in that like five minutes time we've left, it's like he's somehow learned everything he needs to know. So he like pops in the room and he's like, this is great, guys, you came. And it's kind of like he now, there's like a lot of agency to his character because he's like, come on, guys, let's get into this. But if he was just grumpy and complaining the whole time, I would have had more of the pacing of Captain Starshine.
3: And he's the enthusiast in that situation. He's the guy who clearly doesn't have a lot in his life to hang on to. He's. He loves the adulation, but you know he's in the bathroom when people come in and start talking shit about him, just like William Shatner that's apparently taken directly from a William Shatner experience. That's funny.
1: Wait, are we going to read something there?
3: I am. This is Harold Ramis's note. Make the captain's turn slower. Doesn't want to be the hero. More debauched. Give him the big, okay, we'll stay decision. And that's completely different from... Guys, you got to do this thing with me. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're termites. They're Dalmatians. You know that that whole scene where he tries to get the crew into it, and then they only pursue it because they say, "Oh, do you really think he was talking about a job?" Like yeah. this, this idea, it sends up show business much better too. Like Galaxy Quest sends up that idea of working actors trying to make a few bucks by going to conventions and all that kind of stuff. So there's the sci-fi is better, and the the humanity, mm-hmm. the the satire of show business as well what the better.
1: movie would have been like with Ramis because I, I obviously love Harold Ramis, but the yeah. movies he was making around this time are Evolution? not dazzled. Yeah, yeah. Evolution. Uh, Evolution was Ivan Reinhardt. No, 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 I'm
3: sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I found one note. It's an honest sin- nice mistake. I'm so- <laughs> I found one note in Cinefantastique. It said, um, Harold had his own ideas about what he wanted the picture to look like. The way the script was initially written, it took place not in the present day, but in some unspeakable uns- uh, unspecified period, Yeah, probably the late 60s. Harold insisted that everything, the sets, the costumes, be a purpose, purposely dark and vague. When Dean came on board, he switched the time period to the late 70s, the early 80s, and then finally it became the beginning of the new millennium. And now the sets are more modern and more brightly lit and more technical.
3: That makes sense because that was actually part of the production, they hired Linda DeSena, this this uh, production designer, this extraordinary production designer, who um, has worked on all these great movies, you know, Blade Runner and Buckaroo Banzai and Back to the Future 2. And like, she she can do sci-fi. And she'd been doing all the DreamWorks movies like Mouse Hunt and stuff like that. And she was hired by Ramus and designed sets that looked like 1960s Star Trek basically the stuff that looks like cheap cardboard and everything's being you know clearly Mm -hmm. this is not a Teflon coated spaceship and then uh, when Dean came on whether it was Dean's decision or not eventually it became we're having the spaceship look more like Buck Rogers look more like sleek like actually have it look like a photoreal spaceship and it's funny, there's an idea, I don't think this was a Ramis idea, I think there was a, uh, this was a Bob Gordon, Dean Paraso idea, where they wanted to have the spaceship just be a facade over an organic thing. So <laughs> you would go up to the panel on the wall, this steel, shiny panel, and pull it up, and then there's just this gross, fleshy Ew, mass, yeah. just like, oh, God, you know, that kind of <laughs> thing. So that's like an abandoned idea that, you know, at some point in this movie's first it's pre production with Harold Ramis and then it's this very compressed pre production with Dean Paraso. It's the kind of premise you can throw all kinds of ideas at. Yeah. And there's a producer named Elizabeth Cantillon who's another one of the absolute heroes of this story. It's like, you know, Elizabeth Cantillon, Dean Paraso, Debbie Zane, these are all heroes who made the movie that we know and love and, and brought in those elements that we always talk about as being the great elements. And they, Elizabeth talks about what a great script it was and how she kept the course of protecting the script and protecting what was great about it. A lot of the minutiae I'm sure, would change just by virtue of, you know, how does Dean see it? How does Harold see it? And Harold really was thinking this is a satire on Star Trek. And not Everybody confirmed this, but a few people said he was much more about skewering Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And so that makes more sense that he's even without considering Captain Starshine, Mm -hmm. he's thinking about something that kind of peels back how, okay, this is this is all kind of stupid. Right, guys. And it is a funny comedic idea that it's real, but it looks like cheap ass original series Star Trek. Like, that is kind of funny. It's like, okay, it just looks like a cheap set. Boom. No, it's real explosions, you know, stuff like that. But the sincerity and the celebratory quality of what they actually do in Galaxy Quest, the final version.
1: this movie's so charming. I mean, the fact that the, like, yeah. nerd kids... Get yep. to help save the day at the end and all that. And the, the great joke of, like, it's all real. I knew
3: it! <laughs> well, and then that's the thing is that Sigourn Weaver told us that there was a good 40 pages before they go into space in, in the version they did a table read for. Um, there was a... That's dis- what, yeah.
1: Everything I've ever written, it's like act one is the part that slowly yeah. keeps getting chopped down because it's like we need to get into the movie faster. Yeah,
2: I have a question about that with one of the earlier yeah. drafts because Gordon told MTV there there is talk... Of- there's talk about the so-called R-rated version of the film. When I originally wrote it, I was thinking... I wasn't thinking about a family film, just, you know... So when the ship lands in the convention hall, in the original draft, it, it decapitates
3: a bunch of people. The people that were saying, he's all washed up, that loser, in the bathroom in the beginning, are the people decapitated by nice. the wow. ship when it, <laughs> But then, as it became more... That's the thing about <laughs> Dean's approach. Like, I... I feel like dean has this cynical humanism to him. Mm-hmm. He's like a humanistic smartass. And
1: he's doing the new Bill and Ted 3 yes, yes. Yes. movie, right? That's fun. They're
3: in post right now. Yeah. But um it's that that quality of like, you know, Dean brings a lot of uh he brings a lot of that sort of skepticism and that kind of like all oh, right kind of quality to the tone of it. But also there's no some supporting character getting their head cut off in this one. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? Like there's real stakes and there's death but there's something overall nicer about it without it being saccharine mm-hmm. like it almost feels like the movie has a has some justice to it it has some it's on the right side mm-hmm. at the end tim allen looks at the fans and looks genuinely proud of them and like he he salutes them that's as good as the end of lord of the rings you know mm-hmm. the you bow to no one my friends but there's also um, a lot of the stuff that got shifted around. There's a draft in which the spaceship crashes, and uh, then he throws a, a toy spaceship at Ceres and decapitates him with it. So that's <laughs> like the evolution of the spaceship. The
1: decapitation's going on.
3: It's still, it's still a decapitation.
2: Yeah, and then there's one draft I stumbled upon that had a bunch of shits in it, and then just yeah. the
3: one fuck. So, yeah, the one fuck bomb that's in your... If you watch really closely, because Elizabeth says this, we didn't even try to cover it. So all of the profanity is just dubbed. You can see Sam Rockwell go, shit. And his voice says, we're screwed. And then you can see Chill Mitchell say, you are so full of it, man. And then if you (laughs) zoom in. And then, of course, the famous now, you know... Well, fuck that. (laughs) I remember I saw that movie a couple of times. It's such a funny moment. It took me a couple of times to really see how bad that dubbing was. But you see how much she commits to the line. Well, fuck (laughs) that. And you just wish you could hear that audio. I'm yeah. sure it was amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I
2: wish they would release that. I know, it's like the Three Men and the Baby ghost. Once you right. see it, you can't
3: unsee it. So yeah. now it's all I see. It's Back the,
1: to Leonard Nimoy. It's yeah. the funniest damn yeah, exactly. reveal.
3: I, honestly, I looked for it. I looked for that audio. I looked for a rough uh, cut that had in it. We've, I finally asked her to dub it, and she was like, oh, that was terrible.
1: Uh, so. <laughs> um, well, I'd love to see that. But We could talk about this forever, but I think it's time mm-hmm. to wrap it up. Do you uh-huh, have any you last I... thoughts about... Uh... Captain Starshine?
3: Well, I there's something... Well, about Captain Starshine, it's, there's something we said for the premise that David Howard came up with is still the movie. It's a movie, great idea. It mm-hmm. still begets Galaxy Quest. So in my interview with Scott Mance for the documentary, Scott pulls out this Star Trek anthology book of short stories, and there's a short story in this book that is... William Shatner's on set and the lights get too bright and then he like goes past the lights and he's like, you know, Gene, where are you? Like, Brodenberry, like, Gene, where are you? And he's in space and a bunch of space aliens think that.
1: What? That,
3: that <laughs> what Shatner. Is this from? The 70s. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and wow, he was so I'm proud pretty... of it. He was like, it's Galaxy Quest. Like, he's, <laughs> he's very excitable <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that is. So, How about
1: you, Steve? Last thoughts? Um, No,
2: it, it was uh, fun talking about it. I'm happy. It's... I'm happy we got what we got. Yeah. So that's what I could say. And I'm happy they, they got that director, even though he only made one movie. That was a great gamble. And he really, yeah, it, it was a great st- Your doc's a great
3: story. and Would reading, you want to see it continue? What? Would you want to see more? Do you I'll hope they, they make the Paul share Amazon series or anything? Um,
2: it's, it's, it's tough
3: I mean I, w- I would I always want to see more
2: but don't you're, get you're, you're, I don't want to ruin your doc but your, your doc touches on a couple of things yeah. about that that's tough now because Bob wrote
3: the pilot like the initial uh-huh. pilot I think the movie the the version of the documentary that, that uh, got released actually kind of fudges this a little bit but okay. it's the Bob wrote a pilot that really hinged on the relationship between Tim Allen and Alan Rickman's characters Hmm. And and then yeah. his, it was his sudden shocking passing, and then they just couldn't do that version of it. And, and That's I think part
1: of why I'm like, I don't know about doing yeah. more. It's but, tough.
3: But right. I would love to see all those people back though, of
1: course. Yeah. And where can people see your doc again?
3: Uh, they can see it on Amazon. They can see it on iTunes. It's never surrender a Galaxy Quest documentary. And where can people find you? I'm on Twitter as that Jack Bennett. Uh, I just started doing Instagram stuff as Know the Real Guy and <laughs> N-O, the Real Guy on a, on Instagram. I'll do something on Instagram eventually. I don't
1: know. We'll uh, figure it out. And speaking of docs, Steve, you have something.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I just to want, hype. Oh no, I just wanted to lead people to our. I'm um, doing a doc on movie novelizations, and you can follow us. We post tons of pictures. We post a picture every day of a movie novelization. um, Tied underscore in, the word in underscore again, film. Tied in film on Twitter and on Instagram if you want to follow us if you're into movie novelizations.
1: Uh, And you can find our best movies never made on instagram uh and on twitter at never made film um if you are a fan of this podcast you may want to check out electric surge's other podcasts like the 430 movie every friday in which a group of writers and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies and of course inglorious Trexperts, uh who probably would hopefully like this episode if you or Trekkie. Um, and that is a podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, is how they like to hype themselves. And that is available every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts. We want to give a special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surgeon Network, including our producers, Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is Steven Scarlatta And I am Josh Miller saying, we won't see you at the movies.